Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Having some popular products sell out every now and then and uh, is, you know, people realize like, oh, I should have got that when I could. It, it, creates, it creates a type of demand. Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn what is stopping power and why your brand needs it, how to constantly design apparel that will sell out, and how to use Facebook Live for your product launches. Today, I'm joined by Marley and Latif from Spirit Hoods. Spirit Hoods is the original manufacturer of animal-inspired faux fur accessories for men, women, and children. It was started in 2008 and based out of Los Angeles. Welcome, guys. Hey. Hey, what's up? Thanks hey, for having man. us. Yeah, excited to have the both of you on. So tell us more about what is the most popular product that you guys sell in your store? Mm, that's good. Uh, well, we have... Uh, Anything pretty much gray wolf. Um, if you're not familiar with Spirit Hoods, we are a faux fur clothing brand and accessories brand. And we sell, um, we, we're trying to position ourselves as like a healthy alternative to real fur. So um, we've got a home goods line. We've got a jacket line right now. And we've got, which is what we originally started with, what we call a Spirit Hood, which is basically a faux fur hat that comes down into scarves and has paws. Yeah, and anything that is a gray wolf tends to sell pretty well. Yep. Got it. So you mentioned uh, home goods now and then the, the spirit hood, the jacket that you first started with. How many products or how many SKUs did you, did you launch with? Originally? Yeah, from the beginning. Yeah, in the beginning it was like 10 products. Yeah. They were all hoods. In the beginning they were all hoods. Uh, we didn't know what we were doing, really, to be honest. We went we went to a trade show, and and uh, somebody at the trade show was like, well, if you want to get into this trade show, you're going to need a lion sheet. And so we Googled it. We're like, what's a lion sheet? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we just kind of dove in, and it was super fun, super stressful at the same time. But um, the hoods were what we started with, and we had about 10 SKUs. And today we have maybe 45 SKUs. At, at any given time, you know, we've got yeah. like 40 to 50 SKUs, but we're constantly cycling in new products. A, a big part of our, um, I, I would say, our marketing success is like limited run collector edition items that are only around for a very short period of time. So we have um, a nice uh, community of people that are actually trading and selling these things on the secondhand market mm -hmm. um rare ones and things like that which is which is one of our goals from the beginning yeah that kind of community is definitely important so where did this idea first uh, before you guys went to this trade show and tried to, to bust into where, where did that idea come from um the idea originally came from we were making them for uh burning man actually for years for personal use a friend of ours um taught us how to sew by hand these kind of mutant awesome monster faux fur hoods yeah there's um, like a one of the original ones like a goat with wonky ears and yeah really funny looking and so they yeah they, they used to, we used to use them for burning man and uh, make them for Burning Man. Thank you. Thank you to Zoe if you're out there for uh, teaching us uh, <laughs> the ins and outs of how to sew these original hoods. <laughs> yeah. But um, 
Yeah, and then so it was it was years that we did that. We kind of would make them for friends and family for um, different events and whatnot. And then um, one of our um, partners at the time, you know, it, it, we would start wearing, we would get excited and start wearing them out in kind of like everyday things instead of just like festival situations. And people would like freak out about them. And that, that happened enough times. And we were like all, walking down the street, a car would stop in the middle of traffic and be like, where'd you get that? Yeah. What is that? They were just freaking out. It had, so it had stopping power, which we thought was one of the major um, things for a recipe for a product that would do well. Yeah. yeah. And Marley and I were entrepreneurs before this. So we, we were kind of looking for something new to do and this fell into our laps and we, we were able mm-hmm. to just take it. Yeah. And, and a, a shout out to our uh, old partner, Alex Mendeluk, who is integral in the uh, creation and um, bringing to life of uh, spirit hoods. Yeah, um, absolutely. He's on to different business ventures now, but um, we, we, we were all in it together from the beginning. Got it. So you guys were creating these for personal use. You were creating them for friends, and then you recognized that people were super interested in it because they're stopping you on the street and asking you, "What, what is that? Where did you get that? Or how, to, how, yeah. how can I buy this from you?" And so the next step was to to begin the process of what mass producing this. Like, what, what was the very next step is actually turning this into a business? Yeah, absolutely. Well, what we did is we went to the trade show with samples. We had ten, maybe eight samples, um, and just something you know you, we were talking about stopping. Power. I think for us and for me personally, when I look at brands or I look at things um, in term, I look at everything in terms of stopping power. Now, if you've got a product that has stopping power, that's 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 I don't know. I don't want to say half the battle, but it's a huge aspect that can really, really help. I I think as a marketer, it makes your life easier because you already have something mm-hmm. that can start the conversation yeah you don't have to it's easier to pull people in yeah. and then you're just showing people the beauty of it you know the the magic of it which is fun so it's harder to push something that nobody is noticing you know it's right. it's just harder so um so you know we went to the trade show we had eight eight probably eight styles and we didn't even have a manufacturer and the trade show was a was a huge success. We must have done forty plus thousand, over forty thousand dollars in in orders, which for us was mind blowing because we didn't realize it was going to be that successful. And to date, the, the, our most successful show was the very first one we ever did, and we didn't know what we were doing in terms of manufacturing. Uh, we had to come down to L.A. Um, at least I did. I moved to L.A. pretty quickly in the beginning. Um, Alexander was here in the beginning already, and we had to find. Uh, you know, a manufacturing house. Yeah. We, we, we were like, it's cool. You know, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. It'll be easy. We yeah. can figure that yeah. out. And that, yeah. that proved to be um, a pretty difficult thing. I think we went through maybe two manufacturers. Oh, before more we, than that. Yeah. But nobody wanted to take the product. Nobody wanted to because uh, the faux fur is slow. Like when you slow, it's expensive and slow to sew faux fur. That's why nobody really does it in the U.S., and so it was a challenge. We got no's and no's and no's. We got price points we, that were astronomical. We we're like, what? How is it going to cost? Or we, would, or we would get a yes, and then they would try to do it, and yeah. then they would give up. Yeah, yeah. The first <laughs> yes we got was was horrific. The the garments were just produced terribly. We had like, you know, we had a hundred of each of each skew, 
and they started working on them and we had to get them all redone by another manufacturer. So it took some time to find the right person, but, but you just keep looking and eventually find, you know, you find somebody that's resonating. Mm -hmm. So these days, what is the, the criteria or what's the, the testing period that you go through to make sure that, to find out if a manufacturer is a good fit, not just for, for you, but to, to, to your point, it also has to be a good fit for the manufacturer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for us, we've had this, we, we've, we actually still use our old manufacturer and we have, we switched manufacturers maybe three years ago, but we had the same team. We kept our same team. So for us, you know, if you can hang on to a good team, that's first and foremost, the best thing you can do. Um, so we've had the same guys for, you know, eight, what is it? Eight years now, same people working on our products Yeah. in order to find a manufacturer. If you're, if you're going to be local, you know, it's a, it's a specialty thing yeah, you know, for us, for ours. I think if you're, you know, if you're out there and you're making jeans, you're making t-shirts, you're not going to have, it's not going to be as much of a hurdle as it is for us, which, you know, nobody was really, um, doing what we were doing at the time. So real quick, you, you mentioned that you switched manufacturers, but kept the team that that's something that's normal in the industry where you can just move. No, no, no that's not normal. We, we just had this opportunity where our manufacturer gave us a really short window. She said, I, I'm done. I'm selling. She, she manufactured for multiple brands, three, when we were one of them. And, um, she was being bought by one of the larger manufacturers. And so we had the opportunity to take the best workers and she must've had 50, 50 people. And we took, you know, 10 to 15 or something like that. I think, uh, yeah, it was 15, I think. So we took our 15 best, um, workers and, and they wanted to come with us, you know, they've been working on our products for years to that point. Um, so that is not normal. That's definitely not normal. Um, usually you're not as integrated with your manufacturer. And I actually think that that's a con. I think that's a negative point. There's a lot of separation between the brand and the manufacturer. I think that's not a, I think that's not a great thing, uh, it, at least in apparel. Could definitely lead to a little bit of disconnect. With yeah. Your, you um, need to know, like, you need to know how long it takes to do this. How many, how many people are required for X amount? Where is the, where is it, where does it become efficient? Does it become efficient at three people? Does it become efficient at eight people? How does that work? What, what happens when you change out, you know, why does a manufacturer require larger units? A lot of people don't even understand that. The reason a lot of manufacturers are requiring larger units is because every time they have to, you, you know, you have, they have to change the machine. So if you have another order of something, you have a couple of different, you know, things in the whip or, or styles, styles that you're working on. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. the, the fasting brain. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So, so this all takes time. And if you want to build a proper relationship with your manufacturer where they're working for you, you're working for them, there's a leniency, <laughs> respect, camaraderie in the process. It helps to really understand the process, spend time with and, the manufacturer. And I think an interesting point is like we've had we've had a lot of, you know, we've had good years, we've had big, uh, bad years, we've had, you know, every kind of uh, different thing happen underneath the sun every year you're, you're trying to problem solve. But we, we became a pretty big uh, fad very quickly mm. based on the, uh, the type of product that we had. And we got sucked up into pop culture. I mean, it was um, instant. Like yeah. when he says sucked up into <laughs> pop culture, we went from from like a decent size, our first year was a million. We skyrocketed, you know. Yeah, and but we also had had made our mistakes at those time. But our our manufacturer at that time basically came up 
with us at the same time. Like their our success was uh, intrinsically linked to their success, and um, you know it it changed our lives and the experience that we got. And I think it also changed um, their lives as well. Hundred like percent. Yeah. The, the you know that was probably one of the most successful years they ever had as well. And and one of the um, the husband of the. Um, um, a woman Hubbard, who was Hubbard, doing yeah. the manufacturing has like a huge spirit hoods tattoo like down the side All of his body. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, they love us, and that that that's something that's really important because if your manufacturer is, you know, it's 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 a symbiotic relationship. It's a relationship that needs nurturing, and there's a lot of people that aren't as familiar with that, or they're afraid to jump in, or they just keep things separate because it's this they got so many things to deal with um, that it's hard to really get to know that piece, but that's mm -hmm. your backbone. If you don't get a delivery, if you have a wholesale order, or you have online sales for Black Friday or something like that, and you don't have a manufacturer that's willing to bend over backwards to make sure you're getting the product and grow with you, you're gonna have problems. You yeah. cannot deliver, that is a problem. You It will end your relationship with a big box retailer yeah so yeah so I mean, because you guys have this experience of building a team over the last 10 years a manufacturing team what are some of the most important attributes that you see today when you are looking to hire a member to the team to uh, so do you talking about to the manufacturing team or yeah. to our spirits family the... i guess to, specifically to the manufacturing team yeah so I mean, I, I think for us, so we still have, so, you know, it's not an internal team. It's a subcontracted team. So mm -hmm. I think you, you need to have a good handle on, um, you know, the questions to ask a manufacturer, the uh, looking and being able to determine who are the other brands that are working for, right? Who else do you work for? Who are you currently working for? Um, how do you operate your business? How do you... How do you do things? How do you bill? How do you, you know? You and I would, I would say from an operational standpoint to, um, you know, test the waters first before you switch, you know, 100% of your manufacturing based on the dream, you know, like we yeah. can do this. Well, let's let's prove to each other that we can do mm -hmm. this before we yeah. jump all the way. And, and the other thing is, it's not about cheapest production. We do not. We did not. We never went for just the cheapest production. Um, that's a recipe for disaster. I mean, there's a lot of illegal um, operations going on that are sometimes hard to identify, but you definitely need to check their business license, check and see um, that they have workman's comp. You need to get proof of those things, especially at least for us, you know, we're in apparel. I don't know about the rest of the industries out there, but I think it, I think it kind of crosses the, the spectrum. You want to check um, their stats and their, you know, um, the, the business license and the dealings that are, that are, uh, regulated like that because that's really important um, if you're going over to asia it's a completely different ball game asia is a you know that's something we're working on right now and that's a that's a big beast it's hard to trust and um be comfortable with a with an operation that's outside of the country you just have so much less visibility and you really really requires a lot of trust so that process is a bit more intensive that that's where um, you know, pre-existing relationships and connections mm -hmm. come in handy instead of kind of like blindly looking somebody up and hoping for the best. Yeah, it's good to have mentors or people that are that are in the same field and they can point you to a manufacturer that they work with or they know 
Um, and it's, it's all, as always, you need to go to the manufacturer. If it's in Asia, if it's in the US, if it's in the US, you're obviously going a lot. But if it's in Asia, you're going to go less, but you need to go there. You need to see the operation. You need to be hands-on. That's really, really important. Mm. So early on, it sounds like the, you, you wanted to go through a lot of this verification. You know, there's this, there's this level of verification you need to do yourself to make sure that they're running things the way that they're saying they are, that the way that you want them to run it. And yeah. also to, to test this by doing a smaller production run just to see if the samples come back the way you expect these days now that you're you're 10 years in what are mm-hmm. what are the challenges that, that you face today when it comes to manufacturing yeah and, and lastly just on your last point i just want to say visually inspect the place visually inspect what does mm-hmm. it look like in there how do the workers look how you know does it look like people are being taken care of is it clean these are big big, big aspects about manufacturing it's there's so many <laughs> i think manufacturing is one of those things it's a constant fireball yeah, yeah it's a constant it's it's, a, it's a, big, a very big job it's very important and there's always is is as good as you are and as well planned as you can be there's always going to be mishaps there's always challenges um you know for us you know moving to asia is going to be that's something we're in the middle of doing that's a process that's definitely requires well, a lot of exp- hands-on work I, I would say that because we're such a um we're such a season, seasonal item and especially when the holidays roll around we have this really big influx uh, and need for product and um it can be hard sometimes to keep up with that demand especially when you're working with for most of the year a much smaller team so you have seasonal workers i think that's one of the yeah that's super tough that's always been tough for us um you know we have plans to round that out but yeah you know we're we're faux first so for us we're highly seasonal and we we do most of our business between september and february march so you know, rotating workers can be challenging. It's something that's really hard because you need people that understand how to make the Mm -hmm. products. And um, so what we do is we actually have workers. So because we don't pay pennies, you know, we pay proper wages and then some, we tend to attract better workers. And that means less customer service headaches. Um, but what you what you what happens is you you if you're bringing in new workers, they're making mistakes. And so what we try to do is we have a list of you know workers that are able to come in during the that seasonality, and they're familiar with the product. They worked worked for us in the past. They may not be our best workers because our best workers are are there full time always. But these guys are are very very capable. And um, a lot of times it's just the fact that we don't have the ability to support them full time. So we bring on the seasonal aspects. Um, but that's something that can be tricky to do uh, because you have to scale up and you have to scale up ahead of time. You know, if you're producing garments, you're producing something, you need product in advance of the month or the, the season that you're going into. Otherwise, you run out of product. And though that's a great problem to have to be selling a lot of product when you can't keep up with demand, it really is challenging because you're spending time and energy on marketing the products and doing all these things and you're not capitalizing and maximizing your revenue, which is really can be really frustrating. So on the flip side of that, you can make too much inventory, which is very dangerous. I mean, that, that'll put you out of business. You have too much inventory, your cash flow is tied up in raw materials and finished goods. And then all of a sudden you're, you're into the season and you have too much and you don't want to damage the brand by 
doing too heavy of discounts, right? You have, mm-hmm. Your brand has a reputation. So um, if you're selling, putting things on sale all the time, that's a problem. So what do you do at that point? Right. That's oftentimes why people will get rid of their inventory to these like discount sites instead yeah. of selling them yeah. at a discounted like. <laughs> but if you're trying to keep a high brand equity, then then yeah. what? Ha- you know, for us, we have collector's edition and limited edition things. So we don't want to flood the market with mm-hmm. items that didn't sell well. That's just not an option for us because it devalues all the other merchandise that we have. So, um, <clears throat> you know, it's a balancing act. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so today, how, how do you try to, perf- obviously it's, I think a work in progress, but how do you, how do you try to get the projections and inventory projections more accurate over time? Yeah. So we're kind of a just in time manufacturer. So what we're doing is splitting production between Asia for our core items. So things that are, um, you know, consistent. That's and, what we will be doing in the future for yeah. part of our manufacturing. Yeah, that's what we're doing this year. So so we'll be we'll have a steady supply um, of core products. Mm-hmm. Right. And. Uh, then we have our limited edition and collector edition items. Now we sell a lot of core stuff and limited edition, collector edition items. Those are limited runs, you know, anywhere from under 50 to a few hundred or three to 500. It just depends on the, on the run. Um, I think for the most part, you, you look at the data, you, you try to project, you know, how are the months trending compared to last year? Um, are there certain products that are doing mm-hmm. better? Are there certain categories, you know, that are growing faster than other categories? And it's all it's it's a calculated guessing game, and you try to get it yeah. as close as you as you possibly can. And sometimes you do a real good job, and other times you don't other do as good yeah. a job. It's just the way the nature of it. I think you can protect yourself from prov- pr- from producing too much inventory by obviously looking at your last year's sale sale through, looking at your trajectory for the current year. If your sales are up, that's a great indicator that you're going to do well in the season that 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 you're thriving in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you never want to just shoot for the moon. You want to be consistently stepping it up. So small steps, just like stepping up, you know, some stairs, you're not going to hop up to the top. You're not going to just all of a sudden you're like, Oh, we're doing really great. You have spike in sales. You try to meet that demand, but it's better to take 80% of the growth that's happening than to try to hit a hundred percent and then fall off to the other side of that spectrum where you're you're having too much inventory. So for us, we always keep a, a good amount of raw materials and we don't overproduce in the finished goods. So sometimes that means that things go on back order. And, you know? and I think that, you know, having some popular products sell out every now and then and uh, is, you know, people realize like, oh, I should have got that when I could. It, it creates it creates a type of demand um, in the market, which is good. And we've definitely um, left some some sales on the table in December before because we've had such good Novembers where we couldn't actually get Produce. certain things yeah. that we wanted to get done in time for December. And sometimes that hurts, but it's also better than sitting on a ton of inventory that you can't sell yeah. as quickly. Yeah, and we do operate a bit differently. We're, we're a little bit more just in time. So like we, our strategy is, you know, we're not six months or a year out in production. We're a few months out, we're a quarter out, you know? So that works really well for us. And we project and we're constantly designing. We're not designing just two seasons a year, spring, summer, and fall, winter for us. We're designing year round constantly. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we're able to front things into 
release blocks. So we might be doing something in for spring, but we're coming across stuff that we love for fall and we just bucket that into fall and work on it at the same time as spring. And so that's really helpful for us in terms of creating the products that are going to be released during a, a time period. And we're constantly doing that. So, And especially being a fashion brand too, it, it's expected that you have new things to talk about, that you are innovating, that you're coming out with new designs and new combinations and things like that. Whereas another um, company or product, you know, you might make, uh, a new product once a year to add to the yeah. four SKUs that you have if you're a technology product or something else such like mm. that, a very different landscape. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so you are a quarter out and not six months out, and I think this is different, right, than other apparel brands. How come you guys can do it and the other brands out there are not taking this approach? Yeah, I think... Uh, do you want to... Yeah, yeah oh, I think... I. Th- and I've, I've seen a lot of different brands kind of go this direction. We, when we first launched, we were big into wholesale, and um, that was you know half half the company's uh, sales. Uh, now we're primarily focused on direct to consumer, so we're not you know designing mm-hmm. for selling at the trade shows anymore. We're we're going straight straight to uh, straight to the source. I think that's a big part of that. Yeah, I would definitely say that. I also would say that even when we do wholesale, so we're launching wholesale towards the end of the year again. We used to do a a significant wholesale business, and uh, we're going to reopen that. Um, And part of that is, you know, the core product is going to is going to hold its own in terms of wholesale. So we'll still be continuously designing. We may need to bump up a few things, right? A few items for um, the spring summer uh, buyers and the, the fall winter buyers. But we're still because of that direct consumer, we're always going to be constantly pumping out product and new ideas on a regular basis. And that's just that just works for us primarily because we're so DTC focused, as Marley said. Yeah. And we, you know, not every not all our SKUs are going to be open for wholesale. Like there's there's going to be a lot of, you know, website exclusives and things like yeah. that. that. Yeah. Wholesale mm-hmm. is going to be, you know, the, the top the top selling core product for the most part. And then we'll we'll be. Um, mixing in different colorways and things like that. But, you know, wholesale in and of itself is a completely different business. It's a, you know, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a beast in its own right. Right. So not because you are going through so many designs on a uh, throughout the year. How do you how do you test? Like, what what is the process behind coming up with a new design and actually making sure that the market will be interested in it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think that. Um, as far as what we're doing currently, we have, I mean, we've, we've definitely taken ideas to market that we thought we're going to do really mm-hmm. well, haven't mm-hmm. done well. And we've also been pleasantly surprised by things that we didn't necessarily think we're going to do that well. Um, it's interesting when you put out a new product because you, you know, as a company, we've developed a certain customer base and the, and they come to you for certain things. So if you stray too far from what you're doing, it doesn't resonate. And um, and we've noticed that a few times. Uh, but I think. I think that there's always a uh, nice little like sometimes it takes years to actually um, educate your customer or build up like we Mm -hmm. did jackets Mm -hmm. three years ago and we did, you know, we had multiple jackets and nobody was really buying them, you know, Um, and then we 
you know, started doing a little more and we lowered the price a little bit. And we also put ears on. I think that's really important to note. You could start with a product, you release a product or or a you know, a new product line. So for us it was coats. Um, and it doesn't do well. And you're looking at it and you're going, okay, we're selling some, but what what are we just not able to to do that? Is it just not something we're capable of? But if you spend a little bit more time on it, you look at it. Um, you retool it, you redesign it, and we put we ended up putting ears on ours because all of our products are animal related. So, um, and and at that point, we just saw unnoticeable spike yeah. in sales. And from that point on, we realized, okay, there's there's the missing link. We really need to draw it back to our to our brand, which is animal inspired. And without ears, at least at that point, when you're launching a new product, it's really got to stay within the framework of what your customers are expecting and what they know of you as a brand. And now. Today, fast forward three, four years later, we have coats that don't have any hoods on them, um, you know, at all. We have coats that that have hoods and no ears, and we have coats obviously that have ears. So you can diversify that product line uh, once you have established your brand as being, you know, you know, retailing that product. Yeah, I think you you can. Um, cater to the the fan base and the customers that you've already created and that makes it a lot easier to then branch out and maybe bring in a different type of customer mm-hmm. as well and ask questions we do surveys all the time we're always engaging our yeah. audience what do you guys want to see we need names for this garment what do you want to call it we yeah. we do tons of things and and people because we're always reaching out and and getting information from our customers, they're also always telling us what they want to see, what they need, what they would like, what they don't like. Um, and then at the end of the day, you just got to try stuff. You know, you've got to try things and you also have to know that it's costly. Every time you launch a new product line, there's a lot of energy that goes into that. And from like a, a marketing perspective, this is is not something that we've used yet, but if you are, uh, it's, it's almost like a, um, almost like a Kickstarter for your Shopify website in a way. It's like if we sell 50 of these items, you put it on your product detail page, then we, if you, if 50 of you sign up and buy this item, then we will produce it, which mm-hmm. I think is a really interesting Free idea. Sales. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For, yeah. for somebody who's maybe um, starting and doesn't want to necessarily mm-hmm. invest a ton of money into inventory or doesn't have the money to invest, or take that risk if they don't know whether that's going to sell immediately. Yeah, agreed. I think that's a really powerful tool for us. We do, um, we'll do. Sometimes people will sign petitions. They'll mm-hmm. have we we require like two hundred petitions for us to make something. Um, so that happens. Also, we notice the back back in stock notifications. We have that, which works really well. So if we have mm-hmm. a certain volume of uh, back in stock. Uh, you know, notifications sign for ups, signups, yeah, yeah for a, a SKU will reproduce it because we know that, that that makes sense and we see the demand for it. Right. So, do you, so do you take approach of um, putting out designs early on, like on social media for people to see before you produce it? Do you take that approach as well or do you launch with a product by the time a customer sees it? Yeah, it depends. Sometimes we do that for sure. Sometimes we do it and other times... Uh, we don't. Other times we definitely do not. It, it just sort of depends on the season and what's going on with us as a brand. Yeah. I mean, we we have um, low, like we were saying earlier, we have low run launches oftentimes. And so there's there's there is a elite group of kind of like diehard customers who really want to know before something's coming out so they can be there mm-hmm. right at 930 when it's launched. 
so they don't miss it if they want it. And so, yeah, and Marley's done a really good job of segmenting the email newsletters and segmenting the audience, which is really powerful as a, as an arsenal in your marketing. Um, because some people want to know things and others don't. Mm-hmm. And you also don't want to, you know, make people upset by when your product runs out too early. So you want to, you want to really inform your customers of what's going on, what you're releasing, but we don't always showcase the product beforehand. But I will say that when we do showcase the product beforehand, we do teasers, which we do do a lot of teasers. We do that in the form of BTS, like behind the scenes footage. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we're just asking people what they prefer. Like, do you like this? What do you guys think about this? Should we make this? Um, even, you know, anything that can kind of tease a little bit um, can definitely build momentum. Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea of the behind-the-scenes footage of you, you know, of the product being in your hands right away, or that that's being worked mm-hmm. on. I think that that brings that connection with your with your community, and then of course also makes them excited for for the product to come out. So the limited edition and collectors runs that you guys do was this something that you always did from the beginning, or was or, or what made you decide to offer this in your in your uh, in your store? It is not something we did from the beginning. Uh, we we had collections from the beginning as well. We it had felt collections, like. and then we would do releases intermittently. Yeah. Um, but we started to hone that a few years in. Again, as you're evolving and growing, growing with your brand, you're starting to realize things that you want to do. We did always want as a brand yeah. to be. We talked about it. Yeah, we beginning. talked about it from the beginning, and we we were not exactly sure how to put it into effect, um, and we just played with it and worked on it. And, you know, we've seen a garment sell that was purchased for a hundred and like $29 retail for 2,500. Self, not retail. uh, Sorry, not retail. uh, On the secondary market, Mm -hmm. sell for 2,500. So you want to, if that's something you're interested in, you want to position yourself. You want to, um, you want to do things, you want to sell out. You want to create something that is very unique. And what we're working on now is even taking that to the next level. So you're always taking whatever it is that you're doing or whatever core pillar of your brand um, that you have, you want to evolve that further, right? Yeah. That's how every artist in the world is is living their life. So for us, we're actually working on even more um, unique collaborations. Yeah, and like specialty, like how do we make it more special? Like exactly. what if we, you know, what if this next release is a collaboration with an artist and what if it comes with... Um, something to inspire you to go outside. What if it comes with a high-end art print in the bottom of the box? What if the box is a custom wood, like um, branded, engraved yeah. uh, Special. uh, specialty box that you want to keep around? You want to put stuff in? You never get rid of? Yeah. You know, how and do we? How do we take it to the next? Exactly. Level? And also, th- think of your customers as much as you can, because you, if you. If you understand your customer and their wants and needs and desires, you can help build products that they're going to love. I mean, we love our customers and we we really want them to be happy with the things we create. So we mm-hmm. look at the the things they love and we also look at the things we love. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's a collaboration between an audience and the creators. Yeah. And it's a constant ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you're doing it right and sometimes you're a little off. And mm-hmm. that's just the nature of it. So when you look at the look at it like just straight numbers wise, these limited edition runs like they you know quote unquote don't make sense. So what's the benefit of creating a limited edition run versus you know focusing on these kind of broad appeal? I think what you call your core products. 
So when you say it doesn't make sense, do you mean because of the amount of work and energy that goes into? Yeah, I mean, when I say it don't make sense, I'm saying kind of tongue in cheek. It's like when you look at it just straight numbers wise, because it's a limited edition run, there's not that many products that, that you're selling versus like your core products, which I'm assuming has a bigger appeal in terms of it, more of your market might might want them. Uh, what, what makes you decide to, to release these limited edition runs versus just focusing on how can you create products that, that you know, will you know, sell way more than the limited edition runs would sell? There's a lot of, there's many different answers and angles yeah. to look at that. Because if you really look at the numbers, it does, it does make sense depending on who you are and how you're running it. I think one side of that feeds the other side. Exactly. Like you need them together. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if you're always just selling something basic, um, you know, and there's a lot of people that do this and they do it really well. For us, it's just not a strategy we took. Yeah. For, for us, we wanted to say, we wanted to have fun and we love designing. We love creating. It's something that we're super passionate about. So, you know, on one side of the spectrum you have, yes, you have people are more driven towards core products. But on the other side, you know, if you don't want to run sales, like let's say you don't want to do uh, discounts, you know, I've met people who get caught in the discount cycle. So the only way they can really generate sales is if they put their product on discount. Now that creates a certain type of brand and that's fine. That, that brand works for some people. Um, for us, we didn't want to do that. And the other opportunity we had was to create more product and more limited edition stuff and things that were unique collaborations, so on and so forth, and to really dig in and do releases and promote them instead of doing discount sales. So for us, that strategy that was the strategy we took. I see what you're saying. I think the the end goal is the same for both types of companies. It's to it's to get that attention, get those sales. And in one case, people would do that by discounting and that breaks someone's attention when they're looking through their emails. Like, oh, there's a discount. Let me go check out the site. In your exactly. case, you guys are doing releases, pulls people in. They might not even buy the limited edition version, but it breaks their attention. It exactly. brings them to the store and they might buy even something different, like a, more of a, a core product, for example. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They might see that they, they missed and there's a there's a new blanket that they missed and they, they like that. And there's a there's a whole life cycle to the, the buying behavior yeah. of a customer. And and if you're mm-hmm. if you're, um, you know, resting too much on things that have already been done, you're not going to you're not going to excite the people that have already seen that. Yeah, this is not the first time I've heard this as well, where there is a company out there that has like a, a, a flagship product, a product that, that people really know, what they, or people really associate with them, that has a crazy colorway or crazy designs, but it's not their top selling product. It's just what brings people into the door in the first place and end up buying something else. So I, I definitely see where you're going with this. So yeah. you guys... You guys mentioned a couple of times now about how it is so important to really understand your customers. What do you find that you guys are doing? What do you recommend store owners do on a day-to-day basis to make sure that they are a true, you know, a true study of their customers? Uh, you know, one of the big things that we do is is cust- understanding customer service and the stories that come from our products. We we love that. Um, we love hearing the the ways in which our product has helped somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's that just happens to be a part of our brand. But we get those stories and we also ask people uh, to give us information, surveys, we do contests and things. We, we do a lot to get information from our customers. I think that also our brand is a very social brand. It's a, it's a conversation starter. It's a, you experience the world in a different way 
um, when you wear this product because people interact with you differently. Um, people ask you questions, they stare at you, they come up to you and they pet you. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a massive conversation starter. And when, you know, when the company first started, um, you know, one of our other partners was more outgoing and, and would wear it all the time. And I was kind of like, Oh, I don't necessarily want that attention right now. But then it became this thing where it was like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm changing my state when I wear this thing out, it's right. changing the way I also interact, uh, the what my like thought process and the way, right. and that's you know one of the crux of our marketing messages is there's a, a transformation that takes place when you put this thing on, and uh, and you can see it really clearly. And, and another thing is we're we're um, we're on the ground level too. We it started because we were. Um, we were out and we were having fun and we were going to festivals and before we knew how to market things to people, our marketing was just being ourselves and going to these festivals and wearing the thing that we love to wear. And, and even and, just at parties in, in the streets and, and, yeah. and, <clears throat> and you know, clubs and random things. And we were just out. We were and that, out. And that was, that was our marketing and, and people that people would ask us for cards. We would never push it on other people. What's funny is we would always see a spike in sales for the next couple of days yeah, whenever exactly. we did that. So we would do it as often as we could because we knew it was helping the brand. So that's the exposure side. But you have to live it. If you want to understand the mind of your consumer, you have to live it. Yeah. You have to live in it. You have to wear it out. You can't just design something and not explore it. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and just and we're at, we're from. I don't know, first year we were having booths at festivals and having kind of like a hub to interact mm -hmm. with people. And um, yeah, just grassroots marketing was yeah, a big, was exactly. a big uh, thing that we, we've always done. We do to this day right now, our team's at uh, lightning in a bottle festival. So it's a nonstop engagement with, with our fans and customers, customers. So within the community, I think there was mentioned before about how there's segmentation that goes on because there's your, your rabbit fans and there's you know, your customers that, that might not be buying every single item that you put out there. How do you how do you first how do you recognize which one falls into which segment, like in the in the actual data and the tools that you're using? I mean, half the time that I mean, we're we're you're looking at it based on response. We're yeah. also asking. We're like, hey, do you want to be on this? Do you want to be a part of this uh, early release? Do you mm -hmm. want to be a part of um, you know, the secret sale. Do you want to, mm -hmm. so we're asking sign up for this if you want to yeah. be a part of this and, yeah. and just, you know, based on, uh, uh, our life cycle email program has a lot of metrics that come in, you know, like if you've been to the website in the last 30 days, or if you've opened an email in this amount of time. So like what categories do you, have you purchased through? So we try to, we try to keep it more focused because we don't want to annoy our customers and we also mm -hmm. don't want to wear our list out. Um, it, I feel like your emails have become a little less like intimate as they used to. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of, I mean, we get, I get phishing emails from companies all the time that want to work with us um, from a marketing perspective because they somehow got my email somewhere and I've never met this person before. So we don't, you know, like it's, it's definitely the landscape of email marketing is changing a bit. Um, I, I don't think that we get the exact same, um, response as we did three years ago when we used to send an email. And I think that's normal. The, the, the landscape of marketing is, is constantly changing, you know, like stories yeah. on Instagram weren't there two years ago and now everybody's looking at stories. So you kind of, 
when you have a company and you're marketing your products or your services to someone, you you definitely got to pay attention and figure out what is changing and, and what you need to do to, uh, you know, keep up with the times. Like Google's always changing their algorithms. Facebook's always changing always their algorithms. Changing. Like Instagram when we first, when we first started with Facebook, like that was, that was our massive amount of our marketing and we could send a post and we wouldn't have to pay for it and it would pretty much reach everybody. Now, if you don't pay for it, you reach like 2% of the people that follow you on Facebook. So so yeah, you gotta you gotta be constantly. And we know you know, and we know which you know Facebook the Facebook um, customers you know the 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 people who are on that channel. Um, we're gonna cater to that audience. Like we do live feeds for product releases um, on our Facebook channel, and we don't do that on Instagram. We do something a little bit different. We do more creative content, things like that. And we might post both of those on in different ways on either channel, but we might do it at different times, and we might have a slightly different message or a slightly different thing that's going on per channel. Yeah. So you really just have to do. I think you that's have to important. Do it and that's, then, a, that's a very important point. Yeah. You know, yeah. a lot of people are like, okay, I'm going to post on Facebook and my Facebook's going to go to my Instagram and that's going to go uh, to my Twitter. Yeah. And it's all the same thing. You got to cater to that doesn't know, work. The that's, individual channel. Yeah. That's yeah not, I think it comes across obvious too, when that does happen, where it's just like reposting. But what you mentioned about these live feeds on Facebook for product releases, I, I like this approach. Talk to us a little more about this. Like what, what happens during the live feed for a product release? Yeah. So, I mean, it's simple. So for us, you know, we've been exploring that last couple of months and, um, we just, we keep it simple. We basically engage with our, with our, with our audience. We, we talk to them about what's going on for the week because we do releases on Tuesdays and Thursdays, most weeks, not every week, but, um, a lot of times we're doing that. So on Tuesday and Thursday, we'll do a live feed and just say, Hey, you know, um, you know, this is what we're doing. We've got this coming out. This is a little bit of information about the product. Um, and then we'll also talk about other things going on. Hey, we're, it's an opportunity for you to say, Hey, we're doing a contest or, Hey, we've got a blog post we just released or, Hey, we're at lightning in a bottle. If you're going to this festival, come check us out. And also here's some sneak peeks of some items that we're going to release in the next month or two, check it out. Uh, and then engage them with something, you know, because that, that's, that audience is going to respond really well. Usually in the, in the last time from the video you did last week, we had um, suggestions for the name for the uh, product and we actually went to market with a name that was a suggestion from one of our customers. Yeah, so like they named the product. Yeah, it's so probably the most fun. direct way to communicate with your community so far, right? Doing these kind of live videos. What's the reach been for that compared to other platforms? You know, because I think you'll see people do something similar on like Instagram Live as well. Like, have you guys played around with different platforms? Like, what, have you been happy with the the type of uh, reach you've had into the community through Facebook Live videos? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think what we've done is, again, you have these different channels, so you need to make people aware. So what we do is we let people know via email newsletters, we'll be releasing something or whatever's going on. And at the bottom, you might see information that says, you know, uh, Spirited's TV is Tuesday, Thursdays, uh, 9 a.m. or whatever it is, right? So, um, so you'll get a hit on one channel, you'll get a hit on another channel, and that sort of momentum builds, and then you, you know, over time, you start to see an increase in in, 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 in your inconsistency. You are, um, you know, you're showing people that they can count on the fact that that's going to happen, and the mm -hmm. more people know when something's going to happen and that it's happening that's when your users start to go up. 
Got it. So keeping a schedule is important in this case. It's really important. Yeah. Yeah. If you start to deviate from that, then your customers are going to be confused and annoyed, I think. So, you know, you need to be you need to be a rock for them. So um, at least to the best of your ability, obviously, we're not we're not 100 percent. But yeah, I think that's a great a great resource for people, especially with how costly marketing has become. It's become Mm -hmm. really just expensive. So. Got it. So I want to talk a little about the website. I think um, for anyone who wants to check it out, spirithoods.com. Uh, was this the website designed in-house? Did you guys hire out for, for it? How was it yeah, done? Yeah, Marley is extraordinary. That's, that's yes. all you. So um, we, you know, we've, we've had a couple of like uh, starting places from pretty amazing uh, theme designers uh, that um, design these for everyone, you know, nothing special. Like anybody can go out and buy this theme, but what we do afterwards is, uh, we customize ours quite a bit to, um, get the level of the experience that we're looking for to try to cut down the steps it takes to, um, to getting people where they need to go and to organizing the information so that it, makes sense and it doesn't confuse yeah. the user. Which is uh, harder than you think. Yeah. What are some examples of changes that you made to 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 uh, to make that easier? Yeah, absolutely. So we we actually launched a website, a new lo- website mm-hmm. a month ago, um, and we we've, we've consistently launched new websites because we're trying to stay with the times and get the you know most modern functionality out of what we're what we're trying to do in in the user experience. Um, one of the big things. Uh, I think that is um, really helping customers get where they need to go faster is that we just installed a new theme. We customized it to get everything we wanted, but this theme had the ability to do drop down menus in a big graphical way, which our theme prior to this did not have. So um, the ability to get people to go to women's jackets versus men's jackets versus home goods versus collector's edition hoods versus leggings versus sale page and and have them have all that information in a visually appealing way that makes a lot of sense and right easy like yeah. really easy to navigate that's a huge thing because y- you don't want to wear out um you know if somebody's going to the spring collection and they see they're shopping for it's uh, a female and she's shopping for herself. She doesn't want to see a whole bunch of pictures of men's items, even though that might be a, a spring item. Uh, so that's been a big help. Um, and Marley's done so many things that have been helped us evolve. We have an international customer base, and so we have um, the ability to, you know, change currencies. And we have there's so many little things that go into it. You want to pick the most important and prioritize what is the most important for making your customers happy and get to where they want to go and optimizing conversions and things like that. Um, and then you've got a whole bunch of littler items that are also important that you want to be able to to implement. Um, so prioritizing things based off of what you know, as again, you got to use the website, you got to use the product, you've got to experience it, see what's going on in order for you to understand the hiccups and hangups that people are experiencing that are your customers. Yep. Got it. What about uh, applications? Do you guys use any apps to, to help power the website? Absolutely. Um, let's see, what's, what's some of the, some of the best apps we're using right now? Um, 
We are using FOMO for social recognition. So um, I actually found out about FOMO from a different Shopify blog uh, through an interview you guys did with the brand uh, Pura Vida. Um, it's basically, you know, showing all the different users. Uh, it's not giving away any um, any personal information, but it's saying, you know, so and so from Sarah from Connecticut just purchased this, or so and so from. Uh, Germany just signed up for the newsletter. So it's just showing you people that are active on the site and the different um, steps that they're taking. And I think it's possible to click on these uh, notifications to go to a specific product page or something like that. Is that the UC uh, bump in conversions from it? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, so but it, it definitely leads leads to trust. Yeah, and we exactly. also have a lot of reviews. You know, using Yopo for review system yes. um, has worked really well for us, and that's huge. Yeah, um, just showing it's more like for a brand to have somebody else say what you are is mm -hmm. seems to be more important than you telling somebody what you yeah, are. It's more right? authentic. Like, it feels like more real. The, in the people that they trust someone else or they may trust a, um, you know, a friend, like if somebody buys a product and sends their review to their social page, that's huge for us because they're going to trust their friend more they're gonna, than they're going to trust us if we haven't met before. Um, another big uh, app that's been doing really well for us is um, Attentive. So Attentive is like an SMS um, text campaign. And so we offer, you know, discounts to first time users through that and the interaction that we're getting through um, all these you know, opt-ins for the uh, SMS campaigns is really quite amazing considering that there's not that many people. So like you can send a, you can send a newsletter to 60,000 people and you might in the end get 600 people to the website. They might click on it or 600 to a thousand, depending on, you know, how relevant it is. But if you send a new, if you send an SMS campaign to 3000 people, you might get the same amount of people to your website because the interaction and the open rate is so much higher. Got it. Like lots more engaging. So for, for anyone who wants to check it out, spirithoods.com again is the website. What do you guys have plans for the, for the next year? What are some big goals that you guys want to hit? Yeah, well, uh, we definitely want to lock down our Asian production so we can better service our customers and not run out of product in November and December, which has happened to us a few times. Mm -hmm. uh, we also are launching more home products. We're launching more uh, expansive line of, of coats. Um, coming up with more accessories. We want to, in the near future, do dog do dog uh, stuff like yeah. dog dog throws and dog beds and uh, oh for rugs. Oh for rugs is a big one that we're gonna do. Uh, more pillow options. We're gonna yeah. have bigger pillows, different sized uh, pillows have been really good for us as yeah. well. The, the leggings, stuff. the leggings, and the um, sort of jumpsuits that we do. We're gonna expand into that more more fully. We've got a, a decent selection right now, but we want to really double that. And I think a point that we missed is that, um, and I, I don't think we addressed it in the beginning, is that you know we are inspired by animals, and um, we we design a lot of um, hoods and jackets and stuff that are based on the likeness of endangered animals, and we mm -hmm. work with five nonprofits 
um, currently. And we do a lot of smaller projects with nonprofits as well to uh, give back to endangered um, species and the uh, nonprofits that are helping them. And so a big goal of ours this year too is to um, get more, do more projects and kind of like we, we always are doing more projects than even we are letting people know about. And I think that is maybe a, a, a lapse in our communication with our customers. Yeah. We want to we want to show people exactly what's going on with um, the animals and the projects. Or could be a hard story to tell too. Yeah, it's like sometimes it's excruciating, you know. And we still want to get that information out in a digestible way and educate yeah. people. So it, it's a it's an interesting thing because you know people want. They, we're a company that, and we are a company with a cause and we try to really like activate with different communities and stuff like that. But sometimes when you when you send out too much messaging on endangered animals, the interaction rate goes down. So we're trying to um, we're trying to really optimize and test ways to um, make it more fun to talk about things that are hard to talk about um, yeah. because it's. You know, it's it's pretty sad what what's happening in the natural world to a lot of these endangered species. And and um, and there's also great beauty in, in understanding what's going on, because you can you, you know, you can make a difference. Each person has the opportunity to yep. uh, be aware. And and uh, that in and of itself changes the, the, the planet and the, the the lives of a lot of both humans and animals alike. Mm -hmm. So, um yeah, that's really yeah. important for us to, in uh, promoting awareness. And another thing is just con having fun content creating. Sometimes you get so sucked into operating your business that you're stressed and you're doing things, and then you you realize you've you've neglected uh, one of the most important aspects of your brand that kind of has happened to us. And mm -hmm. um, really having fun with content creation, not being afraid mm -hmm. to do things and put out content that's interesting, as you go. funny or weird, learn as yeah. you go. Um, you're going to get a response and there is no, you know, I mean, there could be a wrong way to do that, but, but there's no, usually you're going to, if you have sound mind and you're testing things that, that that's perfect. And you might not get great responses from one thing, but you get great responses from another. And it just helps you curate your content and have fun doing it, not taking things personally, but just having fun. Yep. Awesome. So again, spiritholds.com for anyone that wants to follow along with the cause or check out the the store to, uh, based on all the things that we've learned. I think so there's lots of great things going on on your, on your store that the audience will check out. So again, thank you so much for your time, Marley and Latif. I really appreciate you both coming on. Thank you, Felix. Yeah, thanks, Felix. We really. appreciate it. Thank you for um, the, the great questions and for helping us to get our message out. Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode. We probably get 25, 30 a day um, of positive, you know, testimonials from people just arbitrarily sending this stuff to us. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial. Also for this episode's show notes, head over to shopify.com slash blog.